Hosting for With the First Link on the Trek Geeks Podcast Network is brought to you by Fansets, creators of cool pins and memorabilia from your favorite franchises. Visit fansets.com and use code TREKGEEKS, all capital letters, for your exclusive 10% discount. Hello and welcome to With the First Link, the podcast that hopes to make our future as bright and as just as the one that we see in Star Trek The Next Generation. And we think that one way to do that is to recap and discuss the entire series, one episode at a time, doing our best to look at it all through an anti-oppression, pro-diversity, anti-racist lens. I'm Ruthie Kauper-Samoshi. And I'm Matthew Simone, and today we'll be talking about Manhunt. This episode was written by Tracy Torme and directed by Rob Bowman. It first aired on June 17th, 1989. So this episode was written by Tracy Torme, but apparently uh, it got published or it got released with like a different, as like Terry Devereaux because the scripts changed so much <laughs> from Tracy Torme's original idea. So it's like it became a pen name in that circumstance. It wouldn't yeah, surprise yeah, me because so. I don't know if I would be proud to have my name attached to this particular episode of Star Trek The Next yeah. Generation. Oh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, let's check in about something a little off topic <laughs> let's uh matthew tell us about yuri's night yeah i got to go down to yuri's night so yuri's night is a celebration it's a world it's called the world space party but there are two of them uh main locations one in los angeles at the california science center and then there's one happening literally right now at this time of recording uh going down at the kennedy space center at the atlantis exhibit which is amazing because that's where Space Shuttle Atlantis is, where we did some of our filming for the, the documentary I'm working on Chasing Atlantis. Oh, nice. uh, the other one is under another Space Shuttle, which is Space Shuttle Endeavor. And both of them are to commemorate the first human flight into space, which was accomplished by Yuri Gagarin of the Soviet Union in 19, April 12th, 1961. It was the first time that any human being went into space. So there's there's people, like industry professionals from the space industry, both like the real space, but also in the science fiction uh, space community. There were a bunch of actors from Star Trek that were there. Uh, I got to bump into a couple of them, mainly to thank them for the fundraiser that uh, they contributed to with Astrozeco that we talked about a couple months ago. Uh, so actually, it was in a conversation at one point with Nana Visitor and Armin Shimmerman all at once, talking about fundraising and how the Star Trek community changes the world. And it was amazing. That's so cool. That's awesome. Yeah. So I'll post uh, a couple photos online for it there. But, uh, but yeah, it was neat. We had, literally had a party with a bunch of Star Trek people under this under a, a real spaceship. That's super cool. I'm I'm pretty sure we talked about this. I can't remember if it was season one or season two, but there was a shuttle named the Gagarin after Yuri Gagarin. Yeah, I think it's one of the shuttle craft, right? Is that what it is? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Here's yeah. one really cool quote. Let's see if I can find it here. Orbiting Earth in the spaceship, I saw how beautiful our planet is. People, let let us preserve and increase this beauty, not destroy it. Yeah, yeah, let's do that. But yeah, it was a great night, a cool chance to mix and mingle from from people across the space industry and and I was in particular looking out for people from the Planetary Society, which was founded by Carl Sagan and is now run by Bill Nye, the science guy. It's like one of the largest popularizers uh, or organization that popularizes space uh, still in the world and uh, in citizen involvement in, in, uh, in space and space exploration. So it was just, and there was a giant robot driving around. There's also like an R2-D2 there that was wearing a Star <laughs> Trek com badge. 
Uh, so it was like a neat fusion <laughs> of all things science fiction. And so it was neat. Hey. It was a really neat experience to be able to go down there. So a special shout out to Amy Imhoff who invited me down and got me to uh, involved in some of the behind the scenes doing social media. So if anyone was following social media for Yuri's Night, I was helping out uh, for a little bit there. But um, uh, yeah, it was a neat thing to be a, to be a part of. And Yuri's Night was uh, founded a number of years ago, but I've never been able to participate directly in one of the larger events like that. How have you been? How are you doing? I'm doing great. I, I haven't really done anything remotely as space related as you have <laughs> i've just you know i've been teaching teaching my kids i know that most of our our connections are are cross-country and virtual to bring this show into existence but at one of these points we have to show up in person at one of these conventions or space events together matthew at some point, I would just like to see you in person again. <laughs> I'll, I'll settle for that. Yeah, for those of you who've been listening to the show, with the first link was Ruthie reaching out to me and saying, hey, maybe we should do a Star Trek podcast. And it was kind of a pandemic invention. This is, we were both sitting at home and looking for things to do, but we have not seen each other. When's the last time we saw each other in person? I I really don't know. I wonder if it, I think it was in Vancouver, probably in at the latest, it would have been 2018. Could have been 2017. Is that no? What has that been the last time when you yeah. were out here? Is that yeah. the last time I saw you? I think in so. Person? Wow. Because you haven't been to Toronto specifically. Maybe, maybe there was a time in 2019 and like spring of 2019 when you came to Toronto and we went to the malt shop that used to be near my house. It was like an old timey 1950s malt shop. That yes, I think that might be the time because I also bumped into you once by accident in the airport. Yes, I Remember? was thinking it was that one, but that was before. That was that was before. That was earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the last time you were out here, that was eight years ago. No, no, that that was when I went specifically to visit you. But oh, I went we out here another time? a couple times. Yeah, yeah, we met up at like the Stormcrow Tavern. Oh right, yeah. See, all the yeah. years are bleeding together. I'm getting old. We we both are. <laughs> All that to say, we we need to hang out more in person. I bet, I bet yes. you a lot of people listen to the show don't even realize we haven't seen each other. That, yeah, we haven't seen. We're not long. together when we're recording this. Yeah, we're I, in different parts. I, of the I, world. I would love to at some point record in the same room as you. Oh, we also that I would think, be so special. That'd be. So I feel like most people who record podcasts like virtually have video on. We don't do that because like we've got I don't know I've got notes that I'm always looking at. So it never occurred to me to turn the video on when yeah, we record so true. we don't even see each other when we record <laughs> i know i know but i i'm so grateful that we have these chances to just like even check in and, i know and wax philosophic about space life yeah. the universe and everything yeah yeah we're looking for looking for the question we know the, the answer, answer but what's the question i'm turning that answer this this august <laughs> i know oh, no. <laughs> i know i know how did that happen this episode's a bit odd. Should we just like jump into it? Yeah, I guess we've put it off for long <laughs> enough. Let's go. Let's uh, get into it. <laughs> like, oh. uh, in this episode, Loax out of Troy hitches a ride with the Enterprise to a diplomatic conference and tries to seduce Captain Picard while on board. Yeah, this episode. I want to say, like, I do really enjoy seeing Loaxana Troy. I think a lot of people find her to be a bit much. I get it. She is. I also think she's a lot of fun. I've come to appreciate her more in my older life 
especially yeah. in later episodes where I yeah. think she embodies a lot of the values we actually really enjoy about the Federation. Yeah, and I think it's really unfortunate that in this episode, oh, this episode just has such a problematic portrayal of women's sexuality and specifically like just and this is not unique to Star Trek at all but a lot of pop culture certainly in the 80s and 90s and still now just like makes older women out to be just the butt of the joke and especially when they're sexual and it's really too bad because yeah because she's a super fun character and I I I don't like that this is this is where it went yes specifically in this episode because there's it's I feel like when she was written the first time around, it's like this version of her is a misunderstanding of what her character was supposed to be. Right. Does that make sense? Maybe. I mean, I also read that part of the changes to the script happened. I don't, I don't, obviously I don't know the specifics, but like to accommodate Majel Barrett. So like maybe she wanted the character to be like this. I don't know. I, I can see what you mean that she in the first we've only seen her once prior to this, I yes. think. And it's yeah. in the episode Haven where Deanna Troy is supposed to marry Wyatt. Yeah, I can see what you mean that someone maybe it, it kind of feels like maybe someone took that and was like, what else can we do that's ridiculous in an older woman? And then did this. Yeah. And make them uncomfortable. Yeah. To, to the extreme. The captain's log is that uh, we're starting off that the Enterprise is picking up two and how do you pronounce that? Antidian? Antidian, I think. I was watching it with subtitles on, so I didn't get the pronunciation. That the Enterprise is picking up two Antidian dignitaries to take them to a diplomatic conference and discuss them joining the Federation. And there's a mention that the journey will be three days. So we're in the transporter room. Picard is wearing a dress uniform. Pulaski's there. Worf O'Brien. Wesley's there. Wesley's there to observe because few humans have ever seen Antidians and they're amazing. They look really cool. They're really cool. I do want to just highlight that this takes place over three days because honestly, to me, it feels like it takes place over maximum one day. And the idea that this is going on for three days is hilarious to me. Yeah, because the pacing on on the episode is very fast. Yeah, like they didn't need to say that. They didn't need to say it's going to be three days. But anyway... The Antidians are like they're fish people, and one of them is played by Mick Fleetwood. Yeah, which I did not know. I saw his name <laughs> pop up in the in the credits, and I was like, "Well, where is he in the episode?" So I looked he's him up under on, all on, that. Prosthetic. He's under all that stuff. Yeah, he's a fish person, Mick Fleetwood. Yeah. I wonder what the story is behind that. I know. I I think he was like a big fan, and he's like, "I don't care that they're not going to recognize me." I I want to be in Star Trek. I want to be a fish person on Star yeah, Trek. Yeah, I'll be anything. I think I think I read on like Memory Alpha or something that he was like, as long as I get to be beamed somewhere, he just wanted Amazing. to like be in the transporter, and he did. I would like to be an anonymous fish person on Star Trek. That'd be yeah. that'd be amazing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so they also beam up with a big barrel, and it's basically yeah. food. So it's vermicula. Vermicula is what Pulaski calls it later. Yeah. Yeah, because when they first transport in, they don't say anything, and it's. Picard and Pulaski say that it's because they prefer to travel in a catatonic state, but Picard still welcomes them. So I guess that's just to see if they're in that state already, I guess. <laughs> it is weird. Also, it's funny that like he brought Wesley to show him an Antidian, but then Wesley's like, why aren't they saying anything? He's like, oh no, they won't say anything. They're they're catatonic. Like he didn't tell him that. 
yeah. ahead of time. So basically they're going to be stored, quote unquote, for a while yeah. while they're being transported because the the trauma of space travel, although I can... I was thinking about this and I was like, I can understand why space travel is traumatic if you're doing interplanetary travel like now, the way we'd yes. have to do it, like pooping into a vacuum tube and stuff. But this is the Enterprise, Ruthie. It's like a floating space cruise liner. I know. Like, he's like, it's their way of dealing with the trauma of space travel. No other species has to deal with the trauma of space travel. But I don't know, maybe when you're a fish, it's different. I guess so. I mean, they're I they're fish that are also humanoid they have legs and stuff yeah so do penguins though then they swim around yeah anyways it is it's very strange it's also weird to me that like picard asks if pulaski has sickbay ready for them and she's like well i need to make some adjustments and i she doesn't make the adjustments it's not ready for them until they're practically at pacifica like I don't, it's, it, it's a little, it's a little weird. They just yeah. store them in the transporter room. What we get from all this is that they are not going to really be the main storyline. No, they, so they are really not important. This. But Worf makes a comment here that he says, <laughs> like, what a handsome voice. Yeah, he, he loves them. He's kind of like juxtaposed with Wesley, who's like, why are they so weird? Like Wesley is pretty unkind to be, to be perfectly honest. I think they're cool looking. I wish we had more Antidians in Starfleet. Maybe we they do also now. make this like this like sucking noise when they breathe. Yeah, it's fun and it's they, cool. Yeah, but there. I think the point of this is we're looking to see whether or not the Antidians are going to join the Federation. Which yes, that's which is the cool. idea. So on the bridge, Riker asks Wesley what he thinks of the Antidians, and Wesley say that they are strange looking. And Data points out that judging people by physical appearance is the last major human prejudice. So that's that's it. That's going to be the last one we. The last hurdle we have to jump. You think that would be one of the first ones we'd figure out by now, considering all the races that are a part of the Federation? <laughs> yeah, no. I'm just saying. No. No. Well, you know, you got to get your own house in order first. So we'll deal with all the <laughs> other ones. And then. This is why so few uh, captains in Starfleet are, are other than, are not human, or other, are not other than human. We didn't see yeah. very many non humans as captains. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. Worf, but all of a sudden, while this is getting sorted out, Worf says that a small, transport vessel is hailing them and suddenly troy looks startled because she can sense something that is worrying her and i kind of like this that it's like because this is the third episode in a row where troy has been like "Uh uh-oh something's wrong the first time it was laforge getting kidnapped by the packlids the second he she was like there's something weird going on on this planet down there and it was the they wanted to clone them and this time, like Picard and Riker are both like, oh, what is it? And it's her mom. That's her mom. Yeah, which, you know, <laughs> can cause distress. So I understand sure. why. But they're both like really prepped now in case. Listen, yeah, exactly. Troy's worried about anything. Let's take it seriously. Yeah. yeah. The shuttle pilot tries to introduce that they have a VIP passenger, but is interrupted. Literally, she pushes her way in front of like the webcam that is looking at this particular <laughs> shuttle pilot. And Lawaxa Troy introduces herself and she has like her patented introduction yeah. that we get to hear several times over Star Trek. Daughter of the fifth house, order of the sacred chalice of Rix, heir to the holy rings of Beta Zed. And Data says that they are receiving orders to grant her full ambassadorial status because she will represent the Beta Zed government at this particular conference at Pacifica. Yeah, and then she makes a comment about the naughty thoughts that Picard is having about her and this is what kicks off the real storyline and i just want to like i want to check in with you matt about yeah. something yeah 
Do you think there's any truth to that? I don't actually know because it seems to be, it's like a running thing between her and Picard throughout TNG. But he seems to be pretty, he seems pretty genuine about the fact that he doesn't have these thoughts. Yeah, I, the way I've kind of chosen to believe it is that he doesn't. And she is either like convincing herself or this phase that apparently uh, Betazoid women go through is putting, is kind of making her perceive things that aren't there. Yeah, but yes, however, I'm guessing the phase continues beyond this episode because she that still continues into other episodes. We're not supposed to know that at this point, but yeah, it's like she kind of makes these comments. But even if they are true, either is that way, an invasion of privacy? it's so inappropriate. Yes. Yeah, it seems like because even though they are feelings about you, it feels like it's still an invasion of privacy to it's say that out loud. Certainly, yeah, certainly saying it out loud. I mean, I think there's a lot. I kind of wonder, actually, now that I'm thinking about this, I sort of wonder about how how privacy works among the Betazoid population because she just, like, oversteps boundaries all the time and Troy is always like, mother, stop. But she's the only full Betazoid I think we ever meet. There's uh, we meet the Tin oh, no, Man we, guy. In a we meet the seasons. Tin Man, but he's like yeah. super. Like there's other stuff going on with, going him, on with later him later. Yeah. So I wonder if he also openly announces people's thoughts and feelings. Yeah, we'll get to that I, and later, I, but, yeah. I could imagine in a society where everybody can sense everybody's thoughts and feelings, you just don't have privacy. But like in the Federation, you do have privacy. So she really, like, she really shouldn't be, even if she can't help but perceive them, she certainly, I think, shouldn't announce them. Yeah, maybe in their society perceives this as they're doing humans a favor by just helping them bring their feelings out at the open. Yeah. I don't know. But it would make it's me very uncomfortable. And obviously so it also makes it also makes Deanna uncomfortable. So we have the we have the introduction here, and then we go back to the transporter room and the Antidians are still standing like in a corner and Troy's <laughs> upset that her mother is coming aboard and Picard and Riker are now wearing the dress uniforms. Uh out beams up into the transporter pad and she's facing away from everyone. And she's like kneeling down and basically is like, well, where are my legs? Where are my legs? I feel like this, this is very reminiscent of the last time she beamed up and she was also facing away from everyone. And she was like, where is everyone? Like she, she does not know how to use a transporter. Everyone else manages to like, stand up straight and face the right way. And she's just always like, what's happening? Like, I wonder if she t- moves around while she's being transported. Yeah, is that, is that even happen? Doesn't it freeze you in place so that, that I have doesn't no happen? idea. I'd be excited, but also worried to be transported. So I can understand some of that trepidation. Yeah, yeah. But then sure. she looks at the guests, these Antidians, and she's like, last time I saw something like that, it was being served on a plate. And I feel like that's a rude thing to say. So rude. It's not the last rude comment she's going to make. No. But yeah. Yeah. No, you shouldn't compare people to food. food. My yeah, God. that seems it seems bad, uh, especially if you're also a diplomat. If you are a diplomat for your people, we think you'd have better diplomatic skills than this. Yeah, I really feel like this is an inherited position and not oh, like man. elected or hired. As many high ranking positions are in many societies, including yes. our own. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Even... Even the ones that are supposed to be. Uh, yeah, yes. Yeah. Why yeah. is it that the same family members run the whole of North America over the last 70 decades? Interesting. Yeah. 
So anyway, Loxana gives her daughter a hug and then she comments on Picard's legs, which are still there. Yep. They, they are still there. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Just like hers. Just like hers. And <laughs> and then she says that they can be they can beam Mr. Hom aboard. And you may recall Mr. Hom again I from do. Haven. Yes. You may remember Mr. Hom from Haven as well, played by Carol Streaken. And uh, he also plays Lurch in Lurch. the Adams Family. Uh, I remember that now. As soon as you remembered, you said his yeah. name, I was like, "Oh yeah, yeah." He's one of my favorite like characters. He's very he's tall. Like, yeah, he's very tall. He plays he's, tall people. He doesn't old. talk, and he's just like he's good. He has good comedic, like silent comedic timing. He also I has find. legs. He very does have legs ones. too. Yeah, his yeah they are there. <laughs> they are long. In Haven. Luoxana Troy insisted that Picard carry her bag and it was like way too heavy for him. So she's trying to insist that he carry it again this time. But he's like, no, 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 I wouldn't want to, you know, I don't want to overstep. She kind of pressures him. So Riker's yeah. like, well, since this is, you know, this is clearly important to you, I'll, I'll carry it. And now carry he's it. like shocked by how heavy it is. Hey, do you think, I, I feel like Riker met Luoxana when he and Troy were, when, when they dated before. I would imagine they would have. Yes. I think he really likes her. I like. I think he really enjoys hanging out with Loxana. I think he enjoys the chaos that she brings. He's amused. By I, it. I think probably there were times when he would like, you know, he'd go over to their place for dinner, and Troy would be like, "Oh my god, mom!" and he would be like, "This he'd is be great." Laughing it up, just laughing yeah, it up. Yeah. I think he also probably enjoys the fact that she pokes at Picard, who's his superior officer. Yes. And yes. puts him in an uncomfortable position every once in a while. I think that's yeah. probably okay for yeah. everybody. So as they walk down the corridor, Loxana telepathically, because they can do that, right? They can connect telepathically and speak yeah. to each other. Yeah. Comments to Troy on Riker's nice legs and asks if he... So this is a, this is the whole theme of this episode. We've just noticed his legs. Oh, obviously. yeah. Legs. So many legs. Comments on, on Riker's nice legs and asks if he is still hers. Yes. And Troy responds that humans don't own each other that way anymore. And Luoxana says out loud so that everyone can hear that they should reintroduce that custom. She doesn't say <laughs> what the custom is. She just says that they should reintroduce it. Yeah. I feel like Troy's baseline is just horrified when her mother is around. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, and she must obviously read that in her as well. Right, Loxana yes. must read that in her own daughter, but it doesn't yeah. seem to change. It doesn't care. It doesn't care. Uh, Riker yeah. drops the bags off in Loxana's quarters and then leaves. But before Picard leaves, Loxana says that she will be serving a Betazoid dinner of greeting as an ambassadorial function, which is a lie. That's lies. Total, it is not an ambassadorial function. It's a total lie. I I have more to say about it, and yeah. I will later. So she starts talking about what a great man Picard is. Uh, yeah. if a bit stuffy and i think that's true picard is a bit stuffy at this stage in his in our relationship yeah, with him. but 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 still great i would say that's like it's all of it is accurate assessment great man if a yes, bit stuffy is a bit stuffy yeah troy says that she sounds like she's sizing up a commodity and loxana is like oh but that's what <laughs> men are especially human men and then she points out and i believe this wholeheartedly that Troy's father was never unhappy with her and Troy's like yeah you're right he he worshipped you and I'm sure like she wouldn't she wouldn't settle for anything less and that's partly I think why I don't really like this episode is that there's a bit of like that she's so desperate Luoxana Troy has never been desperate for men I'm sure of it like I, I just feel that deep inside so there's a I was going to ask you here this comment about 
about looking at men as a commodity. We're looking at it through like a contemporary lens about how that's not good. No one should be commodified. Right, of course. But in the context of this era, is it empowering to have a woman speak this way about men in this particular narrative to kind of flip the narrative on its head a bit? Or is that not good? I think that it's, I think it's it's overall not good, but I I don't think it's the same as mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as like treating a woman as a commodity. Right. Yes, yes, yeah. I, I it's not good, but it's it's different. I don't know, and maybe this is partly just like with what I know and like about the character from other episodes that I I don't think she ever actually treated Troy's father as a commodity. Like, I think she treated him as a person. I think they had a very mutually loving and respectful relationship. And I do also believe that he worshipped everything about her. Yes. And he probably did so much for her. He was probably, I would guess, in that relationship, in some ways, more of a giver, perhaps, than she was. Perhaps. But I also think that he got a lot of joy out of that giving and specifically giving for her so um this might be just my own editorializing because i don't want to believe that she would (laughs) see that like that she would treat her husband as a commodity um but again like that's what that's part of what i what the part of the problem with this episode is that i i really believe because i've i you know i've known people who are like loxana troy Mm -hmm. and they're not gonna like fool themselves into thinking that someone's in love with them when they're not, they're going to be like, Oh, you're not in love with me. I don't have time for that. And you know, bye your loss. See you later. Do we know in the Star Trek lore, what happened to Deanna's father? We might, if we do know, I've, I know he dies, but, but I don't, yeah. we might know, but if we do know, I don't remember. So back on the bridge, Riker, Wesley, and Data are talking about Loaxana. Riker, again, is enjoying her company. <laughs> yeah. And is kind of talking about the things that she had said about, about the captain, which is probably not super professional as first officer. No, it's not. But it's building maybe some 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 collegial atmosphere on the bridge. It's so I think Riker's not super cool here because Picard walks in on them talking about this and then reminds them that she has been granted ambassadorial rank and should be treated with respect and Riker looks over at them like as if to scold them it's a, yeah <laughs> like like he wasn't the one telling them like telling tales telling tales yeah data data said that he thought a telepath would be more subtle but Riker says that she knows what's on your mind and lets you know what's on hers frankly it's you true. know what from that perspective I do find it refreshing when people are just candid about what they're thinking and feel like frankly i find it a lot easier to just be able to navigate those relationships because then i know what people are thinking rather than trying to dance around things yes that is true i don't like when people because the thing is that she isn't just doing that she is also telling you what is on your mind that is a problem that i don't like no (laughs) you know let me share what i want to share yeah exactly yeah i mean she's also telling picard stuff that's on his mind that from what I can see, is not actually on his mind. Yes. Like, he'll tell her something, and she's like, nope, that's not what you're really thinking. And again, that's, like, invasive and not cool. So Picard asks Pulaski about the Antidians, and she says that she's looking on them now, but they're still catatonic, but they seem to be fine. So Picard leaves for his quarters, 
telling them all that it's going to be a dress uniform dinner, but they don't know what he's talking about. Like, obviously, no one else has been invited to this dinner. Yeah, you know what? This actually got me thinking about something, and we don't have to get too much into it, but I just kind of want to raise it. Aside from, like, shipwide communications that are, like, ordered by the captain... How do people find out about things that like, do they have like an intership IM or like email system? Like, how do they find out about things that are happening on the ship? Like, if they had been invited to this dinner, how, what would the invitation? Uh, there's, there's a specific hashtag that everyone follows on their, <laughs> on their enterprise social media. It's like enterprise dinners, hashtag enterprise dinners. Cause it was weird to me that Picard didn't know that they hadn't been informed because I was like, well, she just told him. So wouldn't have he been the one to tell everybody? Yeah, yeah. But then I was like, but maybe that wouldn't be the captain's responsibility. Maybe there's like a ship's office manager who like sends out shipwide communications. But like, how would she have invited everyone if she was going to invite everyone? Anyway, we we don't have to answer that. That's what like, um, isn't that what like ship's yeoman officers would be kind of like for? Oh, is that what a yeoman does? I think so, that they do like logistical coordination of that kind of thing. But we don't see yeoman in, Not in this TNG. One. We do in, in the original series. Original but, yeoman Rand. Yeah. Yeoman Rand, like yeoman Rand. Yeah. Anyways, this is to basically, it's just a plot <laughs> hole that's yeah, left in order to make up this a joke, joke land. Yeah. But Picard yeah. walks in in full dress uniform. I'm guessing his little accent is guest quarters that she's been placed in. And she he yeah. brings in a bottle of blue liquid. Now, in Star Trek, when blue liquid is in these particular <laughs> bottles that's always romulan ale it's, okay I that's what i thought it was yeah yeah yes. i feel like it's supposed to be fancy but it really looks like a gatorade bottle to me yeah and um and along the way okay so in the corner not in the quarters yet but he runs into pulaski and pulaski asks or he asks pulaski if she's attending and she's like no i've already eaten dinner and he's super confused again yeah. leading yeah. to what's going to happen but when he enters her quarters and hands the bottle to Mr. Hom, <laughs> he gulps the entire thing and then bows and thanks. And I was thinking about this. I'm like, is this him misunderstanding that he had brought the drink for dinner? Or is this Hom being like, this is how I cope with being oh, this no. person's servant? That's oh, what I wondered about that. <laughs> I mean, she did say, we we didn't, uh, we glossed over this, but when they beamed Hom on board before they did that she was like i retained his services even though he was having inappropriate thoughts about me so he has also been the object of this or the subject well object because it's i guess being objectified but and that's not cool as like this is you know she's his boss but yeah. even like yeah i could see working for loxana troy yeah it's a difficult job i would drink i would yeah. i would drink I also feel like there's, I didn't see this. I mean, I I think in some ways it does look like he's misunderstanding, but in other ways, I also feel like Holmes just kind of does what he wants to do. Yeah. Cause it's not the first time we see him just gulp down some booze. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, I'm thank you. He's like, what are you going to do? Fire me? I dare you. I also feel like he's kind of like, I don't think Loxana Troy needs any Romulan ale. Uh, yeah probably not in that <laughs> he's case. like i'll take this because yeah. otherwise she'll drink it and neither of us wants that to happen yeah he's like i'm being responsible for all of us right now yeah yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah. Helping. and he's got like super strength so you know his alcohol tolerance is quite uh yeah, he's robust big. yeah you yeah. can probably he can probably pack it back picard thinks that he's early because no one else is there 
But then Han like shakes his head because he's like, where is everybody? And then just yeah. points. And yeah. Lawaxada appears in the doorway wearing a very low cut dress. So, okay, now I want to talk about this ambassadorial <laughs> function. That's de- it's deceptive. This is it's deceptive. And it's like, yeah, it's manipulative. It's a thing that happens on TV shows. And I'm sure I, I know it happens in real life, too, where like one character tricks someone else into being on a date with them. That's not cool. It's one of my least favorite things, especially like here, at least it's not portrayed. It's kind of like played for laughs, but at least it's not portrayed as like a good thing and that like they end up falling for each other. But there is an episode in season six of Buffy the Vampire Slayer where a character does this and it it's it's done in a way that like it it works out in the end. And in some ways to, to me, that's almost worse because I feel like people should get to decide ahead of time whether they want to go on a date. It's a subversion of consent. And and it's this idea. And this got played, you know, someone growing up in this time and watch, and these narratives are still in shows now, not to say that they aren't, but I I was very much of the idea because it got programmed to me that people need to be tricked into loving you. Yes, that's a really good way of putting it. And that's harmful. It's harmful for both parties. Mm-hmm. Because it mm-hmm. also means that nobody will ever just love you for what you are. You always have to be playing some kind of game. Yeah. And that's really unfortunate. Yeah, I remember, I think I was in university and I was kind of talking with a friend about someone who was not like, I don't want to make this sound like worse than it was, but was just kind of, seemed to be not trying to trick people, but trying to get people to have feelings for them. Sure. Like people who didn't. And I remember thinking about it and something kind of crystallized for me where I was like, when you flirt with someone, the the way flirting should work is not, I'm going to flirt with you and that will make you like me. The way flirting works is it's like, I'm opening the door and showing you that I like you. And then if you flirt back, then- that's that can be you telling me that you reciprocate that right. and that that my flirting is welcome. If you don't flirt back, I should stop flirting because yeah. if I flirt with you and and I don't get a like clear demonstration that that my flirting is welcome, you know, like I feel like some people take that and they're like, so that means I have to flirt harder so that they'll like yeah. me more. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. that is very much the wrong approach and I mean this is even worse where it's like I'm gonna trick you into going on a date with me I don't know I remember one time when like someone who I knew had a crush on me invited me to like hang out with a bunch of friends and then it just turned out none of them could no one else could show up and I was like oh gosh like I really hope this person doesn't think we're on a date like that's what she's doing and it's so not cool it's not cool you should always clarify if you're intending to take someone <laughs> up for a date, on a date especially yeah. not on the pretenses of like interstellar diplomacy. Yeah. If you're required to be there. No, yep. no, 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 no. Yeah. Not allowed. Yeah. You have no choice but to be there. Yeah. Picard and Loaxana sit very close to each other and Loaxana toasts to earth men who, despite all their many faults, have that unique ability to charm women of all races in all corners of the galaxy. I didn't know I had that ability. Yeah. How do you feel about that, Matthew? I was, I was like, yeah, Hey, I'll take that. Uh, no problem. Yeah. I haven't had the chance yet to charm women of other parts of the galaxy, but maybe one day I'll have that privilege. I like you're you're uh 
your reaction is kind of similar to Picard's. It's like, <laughs> yeah, oh, think, okay, there yeah, you go. <laughs> there you go. He thanks her, but seems unsure of the whole thing. Yeah. Well, Axletta says that she knows Picard is wondering if she is seeing any other men seriously. He's like, I'm not. But she says <laughs> that competition brings out the best in the human male. I disagree with that. I don't think oh, that's true gosh. of everyone. No. I think that's very like toxic masculinity type yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Alpha male BS, but yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's not cool. So Picard is clearly uncomfortable and she is either ignoring or unaware of the fact. And I yep. think part of what's implied later is that she is very attuned to people's feelings and thoughts. But in this this phase that she's going through just clouds her abilities in, in this respect. So it is possible that she just can't tell. I mean, I don't like that depiction either because the idea that someone who's making people feel uncomfortable, like, well, they have no way of knowing and like it's kind of lets people off the hook in a way that I don't think is cool. Luckily, Hom rings the like dinner chime when they start to eat. Again, you may recall from Haven that like every time someone took a bite, he would <laughs> bang that gong. Yeah. And Picard's like, oh, right, you have that chime. I wonder what other people do that are like similar customs. So if you want someone to come in and <laughs> run interference for you without even knowing that's what they're doing, and you want someone who knows a lot about very specific parts of other cultures, history, and the world in general, you ask Dave. <laughs> yeah, he's like, how can I pour cold water on this fast? I know. I'll invite Data. Data, he like calls him over the comms. And at first, Data starts talking about different customs. And then Picard's like, this is fascinating. You should join us. <laughs> and he does. His anecdotes are the stuff of legends aboard this ship. And they sure are. It's true. They are. Not not because people enjoy them so much. I mean, I do. I do too. Actually, I, I'm, I'm going to call Picard out on this in a moment when we get later on in the story. But oh, we'll, yeah. We'll get back to that. I know. Yeah, yeah. But we cut to data telling them a story of how he <laughs> multiplied pi. Square root of pi by nine cubed. Yeah, square root of pi by nine to the third power. Yeah, to calculate the distance between the Omicron system and the Crab Nebula. Now, did you know, Ruthie, yes, that I one did. of the ways to actually calculate distance across space was determined by uh, a woman astronomer. Her name was Henrietta Swan Leavitt, and it's something called Leavitt's Law. And she discovered that you could use certain objects, namely some stars that vary in their brightness, to measure distances across space. And using that research, we made the first distance calculation to the Andromeda galaxy, which then made us realize that the Milky Way was not the only galaxy and that the universe was far larger than we ever possibly imagined. But I want to point out that the way we actually know distance between some objects in space is because of a woman named Henrietta Swan Leavitt. And that story should get told more often. Uh, that's cool. Yeah, no, thanks for thanks for sharing that. Is there root of pi times nine to the third power like I, involved in that i don't think so what it has to do without getting too particular about this but what it has to do with is that if you look at two variable stars that change in their brightness over time uh two of these particular stars are called cepheid variables if they change in brightness over the same period of time that means they reach the same maximum brightness in that period of time so it'd be two stars in two different parts of the universe if they shift in their brightness over, say, the same four-day period, that means at the height of that four-day period, they are the same brightness. So any 
any chain any if one therefore is more dim than the other that's completely a function of distance we then mm. know that one of them is farther away and we know how much farther away it is by how much dimmer it is than the other one i i find it super fascinating to think about how people use trigonometry to like measure distances that they themselves cannot reach so like super tall heights or like and mm. I, I, that's like it's a similar thing well it's it's called the cosmic distance ladder so like the, the, the trigonometry, you can use that up to a certain point um, because as we're orbiting around our sun, we see like a parallax, effective parallax from like distant stars. But eventually things get so far away that there is no measurable parallax anymore. So trigonometry stops working. So she was able to find the next step in the distance ladder of how to measure how far away things were. And now I feel like data. I'm literally cutting into like our actual podcast episode. I, tell I'm stories. loving it. I'm so happy you told me that. I'm not like Mr. Hom, who I don't know if you noticed was fully yawning when yep. data was telling this story. No, I'm like riveted. Yeah, it's kind of neat because we only we only made that calculation in 1926. So it's not even like 100 years ago. So less than 100 years ago, we thought the entire universe was just the Milky Way galaxy. Wow. Or we didn't have, we, there were hypotheses that it wasn't, but we had no actual concrete proof of that until that point. And it was because of her research. Cool. Yeah. There you go. Matthew, I do want to say, I really did find that interesting. And I, I do find your anecdotes interesting. And I also feel like I could call you if I found myself on a surprise date to be like, Hey, tell some stories. Oh my God. If someone were at, <laughs> were on a date with a creep that they couldn't get out of and they phone me and we're like, listen, I just need to show up and start talking about space until they left. I would be so on that. It would be so great. <laughs> By the way, that's, that goes for anyone out there. You just give me yeah. a shout. I'll show you always, up. you always have my back. I'll Appreciate be your data it. in that situation. Yeah. yeah. So now Picard asks to hear another story about the anomalous. These are not stories. These are just, this is just, like, tell us, give us information, but yep. that's okay. I'm here for it. He wants to hear about the anomalous chemical composition of brown dwarf stars. Matthew, Amazing. do you have anything to say about that? Um, or... I actually, I don't, I didn't know that there was anomalous chemical composition of brown dwarf stars. First of all, brown dwarfs are not really truly stars because they're, they're considered failed stars. They're objects that are not quite massive enough that their cores are going to reach a high enough temperature well, to achieve nuclear fusion. That sounds a little judgmental. So let's... I know, I know. Actually, I'm glad you said that because once with a friend of mine, Leslie, who I don't know, I don't know if they listen to her podcast episodes or not, but they, <laughs> uh, we wrote a, a song once called, it was called Brown Dwarf. And it was how about, I was a brown dwarf singing a song about how rather than being a failed star, they were actually a super planet. Okay, well, that's nicer. Because they're really, they are really large gassy objects. So rather than just being, rather than thinking of them as a failed star, thinking of them as a really big planet. But then I was told that's not actually true because they do form at the centers of solar systems like stars do rather than orbiting stars. Anyways, none of that matters. I don't know if they have an anomalous chemical composition. But we still don't have to, to call them failed stars. We could just call them like, they're just something else, okay? Like they're called something else. They're not dwarfs. everything has to be measured by the same standard. That's right. Yeah. How about that? Yeah. You know. So, anyways. Anyway, we cut to the corridor and we see Troy telling Pulaski about this phase that her mother is going through. It's just called the phase, but it's basically the Betazoid equivalent of menopause, except instead of getting hot flashes, all the other stuff that happens with human menopause, uh 
Betazoids just get really horny. <laughs> yeah. Specifically, Betazoid women get very horny. They reach their sexual peak in their, I don't know, 50s, 60s, 70s. Pulaski's like, good to know. I just saw Picard on his way to your mother's quarters. Yeah, great. Yeah, so Troy kind of thinks like maybe she should warn him. But Pulaski's like, no, no, no. This is a good exercise for his reflexes and agility. Bum, bum, bum. Oy, oy, oy. She means like to get away from him. I feel she, like she qualifies Troy... it with that later, yes. but that's yeah, not, yeah, yeah. I don't think I was interpreting. Yeah, I think Troy in some ways agrees with Pulaski only because she's like, at least my mom is bugging someone else right now, not me. Right, yeah. Uh, back to the quarters. Data is now giving a full presentation about something not very <laughs> interesting. Again, again, might have been interesting, but given the I, context, yeah, it could have been interesting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Troy enters and Picard says, "Well, actually, on that note, I need to leave. I need to get back to the bridge." Uh, Data offers to stay <laughs> and keep entertaining Waxana, uh, who is also very upset by the fact that he was invited to begin with. Yeah. Well, I mean, that was the point. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But she declines and then they leave. And Troy is yeah. really annoyed with her mother, obviously. And Picard says, Data, you'll never know how much I owe you for that. And then takes a minute to breathe. <laughs> I love that. They're like walking. That felt so true to me. You know, when you're like, I don't know. I feel like this happens in like cars when you're like leaving something and then you just like, okay, let's just pull over for a minute and just sit like that. That was a lot to take in. Yeah. But it's like you have to get out of sight first. You drive away from whatever the stressful situation you were in, and then you like get a few, you get a few blocks away, turn the corner, and then you're like, okay, let's just let's just sit in the car and absorb that. The data offers more anecdotes, and Picard's like, maybe another time. <laughs> yeah, it's played for laughs. I get it, but Picard is like, you will never know how much I owe you for that. And then Data tries to tell him more anecdotes, and he's like. No, no, tell me later. Yeah. Can we hang out as buds now for real? No. But I was like, come on. Like you, you just said you owe him for that. Maybe you can listen to his anecdotes. <laughs> uh, poor data. Anyways, yeah. uh, Troy is upset that her mother came aboard in this condition and then pulls her into the corridor and asks like, what stage is all this in? And Lawaxana yeah. says it's far enough along that I can enjoy it. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then Troy's like, oh, now I see you, why you wore that dress. And I do want to point out that their necklines are almost identical. <laughs> so like, I mean, Lawaxana's dress is very like, honestly, it looks like a nightgown to me. That's just my style. I don't wear dresses that look like that. But yeah, Troy's showing as much skin as her mother. Troy tells Lawaxana not to like think about it. But Loaxana says that, well, he was thinking about it all through dinner. And then they cut to the ready room. <laughs> like, I was what? Because clearly they're debriefing with him now. Yeah. So now we've got Riker and Troy. I'm, I'm not 100% sure why Riker is here, except to be amused. Like, oh, yeah, totally. He mostly just finds it funny. But so Troy explains this phase. And then Riker actually says that Troy warned him about it when they first started dating. He says that a Betazoid woman quadruples her sex drive. And Troy says that it could actually be more, but she didn't tell him that because she didn't want to scare him off. Oh, yeah. But honestly, like, he looks like, he's like, bring it on. Quadruple, quintuple, I'll take I'll take it all. <laughs> now, Ruthie, what unit of measurement is that in? Yeah, good question. Like, if, if you had to scientifically act, like, they have a number, quadruple. How do you measure that yeah. exactly? I don't know. Is that like with the number of times you want to 
have sex in a day no or is idea. it like with the the blood flow i don't i, I don't, I don't know. know i have no idea i was just i was i thought it was funny that they actually quantified it. i know that it's like a it's, a it's a specific number and it's more than four so troy says that she's opted for the only dignified option open to her and perhaps isolation yeah that's what Riker thinks it's gonna be it's like isolation <laughs> yeah. but Troy explains that Loaxalana's plan is to focus all her energy on one man who will eventually become her husband and Picard is the early favorite yeah and so this is where it really like turns for me that Picard is like okay well there must be some way for me to gently let her know that this is not going to happen without insulting her. And Troy's like, no, you you can't. You can't apply human style logic. If a woman in this phase is rejected, she will be shocked and she will be deeply resentful and like, too bad. This is where I have trouble with boundary setting with people. Right. If I feel that someone is going to be resentful by me saying no, I find it very, even though that's like, that is the ultimate standard of being able to set a boundary with someone is that regardless of their like resentment that you're still able to say no if you feel like that's that's what you need to do and i find this very hard to do but i also get like frustrated that people visit that resent on others when they do tell them no yeah i feel like and that's that's part of the thing that they're making such a big deal of like well how can we do this without offending her and i'm sorry but she just told this guy that he was required to come to an event which ended up being a date you shouldn't worry about offending her. And I'm not saying that like him specifically, but just the way the episode is constructed is like, we must protect her feelings at all costs. I think that that, like you said, someone watching this could very much take the message away of like, well, if I'm uncomfortable, I need to make sure that I'm not offending the person who's making me uncomfortable. I also think that we should all strive to be people that are safe to say no to. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I try to work on that, like in my life, is that it's like, let people make their own choices and decisions and don't like, yeah. you can be, you're allowed to be upset or disappointed that someone has said no to you, but you still need to respect that. Disappointment or sadness or whatever you feel, that's yours and yes. you can handle that. You don't need to then, like you said, like visit that upon the person who has said no. Yeah. So Picard is going to hide now. So it's like, <laughs> He decided that he should make himself scarce. Personally, I get this because I, when I want to make myself scarce, <laughs> I go play video games. And that's basically what Picard is about to do here because... Yeah, Picard is going to go play Dixon Hill. He's going to go play Dixon Hill. He's going to play his RPG. He's going to jump into the holodeck. He's wearing his full costume. He's got his trench coat, his suit, his fedora, and he walks into the holodeck. Yeah, so there's the like jazzy 1940s music in the background. And Madeline, his secretary, tells him that he has two calls on his desk and there's like some exposition that he hasn't had a case in a while. The landlord is bugging them about the rent. She hasn't been paid. Um, yeah, it's, he, he needs to get more cases. Apparently he's not so, a very good private dick. Yeah, clearly not. Yeah. yeah. I also feel like Picard needs to pick a specific story and it should be one that he knows well because like when he goes in he shouldn't just go into a random Dixon Hill story because he's always caught off guard with not having the background information like that happened in the previous one with when he in uh, the big goodbye when he was like 
you didn't know what was going on. You know like, what's going on, pick yeah. a pick up one of the books that you know well and just play out that one. We see that though by first contact. Yes, then he finally knows. Remember the movie? He knows what chapter to pick for a certain scenario and stuff. So maybe he just, he's too unfamiliar with it still. That was brilliant that part of first contact i love that by then he's like knows that he's a tommy gun and yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. this is still early in his dixon he says it leveled up very much in his no, character he yet. yeah he hasn't yeah. played dixon hill enough yet. yeah he doesn't have enough experience points so he, he turns on the radio and he just like looks at the window and he puts up his feet and he's gonna relax now so he's just escaping from the ship can i just say Patrick Stewart looks phenomenal in the dixon hill costume oh yeah the way he that hat is like at a perfect angle i feel and- like there should have been a television show where he played like a 1940s private detective. Oh, I would t- I would have watched that. He for would have been sure. so good at that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Back at her quarters, Laxana is very upset that Chip's business takes precedence over her. And then she kind of is like, well, he was he was too old for me anyway. So he is younger than her, right? Like I think so. I'm yeah, but maybe sure. that's because he's not old enough to be Troy's dad. No, no, no. But maybe she's looking for something, someone younger now. Clearly. It's leading on to this idea, well, now that she's going to move her attentions to somebody else. Yes. So back on the holodeck, Picard, as Dixon Hill, is relaxing until Slade Bender comes in. Slade Bender. And Slade Bender is played by Robert Costanzo, who I feel has probably played like an Italian in a lot of things. I know him. As Joey Tribbiani's dad on an episode of Friends. Okay, cool. But like, I feel like he's just got that look that I feel like he would have gotten cast as a lot of like Italians. That, that like, person definitely you know, typecast. Yeah, for sure. Uh, he's he's great in this part. Yeah, he wants to talk about Alva. Like this is stuff where Picard isn't caught up on the narrative, obviously. <laughs> yeah. So he's like, what are you talking about? And he's like, don't play stupid with me. Anyways, they found Alva face down in a river and now the boyfriend who is looking for her is accused of murder. And he he's pronounces like, okay, it murder. Murder. He's like, are you looking for my help then? Are you here to hire me? And Bender's like, no, I'm here to kill you. And he pulls out a gun and just like points it at Picard who jumps under the table and is like, computer freeze program. <laughs> this is yeah. too violent. He was looking yeah. for something more more chill. More ambience, less substance. Yeah, he says more ambience, less substance. I feel like I should use that more often in my day-to-day life. Yeah. Listen, can this have more ambience and less substance? <laughs> <laughs> so this time we get... It's on IMDb. It says Scarface. He doesn't really have a name, but he has a scar on his face. Played by Robert O'Reilly. Yeah, it's Gowron. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll see those eyes again. It's really interesting. I was watching it like when he grabs Hill's like lapels and you can see their faces in profile. Like they're looking at each other. And it's just like the angle of like how much bigger his eyes are than Patrick Stewart's eyes. Like, yeah, those are, you can't mistake those. That's no, yeah, those yeah. are those are the eyes. Those are the eyes. Yeah, we'll we'll see those eyes again. Once again, Picard's like reconfigure. I'm looking for something a little bit more chill. And this time, Slade better rocks in, but with like a Tommy gun, like a machine <laughs> gun. Picard again freezes the program, and he's like, "What computer? I feel like you're not listening to what I'm telling you." And the computer explains that. Listen, there's a limited number of customization options for these Tixdale novels because that's how all these stories go. Yeah. That there's something like this. And he's like, oh, of course, that's that's the world I'm in. I do feel like he could have just said, I want like a 1940s relaxing scene. But at this point in the in the show, they hadn't like developed the holodeck like enough to have that. 
Yeah, he could have just said, give me the Dixon Hill office with just the background music, which yeah, is ironic just... because when I want to chill out, I will put on 10 hours of TNG bridge sound effects on YouTube and just play <laughs> yeah. those to relax. Um, <laughs> yes, but you don't you don't put on like you don't you don't have to end up like fighting anyone or no and there's no episode your ship doesn't get attacked it's yeah. more ambience less substance i totally get there that. you go there you go so back in the transporter room wesley and Worf are just kind of standing observing the antedians i guess Worf is kind of doing security but Worf is i Worf loves them he says they possess a certain dignity and graceful countenance and wesley is again like kind of rude that he's like oh if you say so and so Worf is like, oh, is that how you felt when you saw me? <laughs> and Wesley just like takes his foot and jams it even further into his mouth. Yeah, at Worf When nine. he says that now that he's seen more Klingons, he thinks that Worf is actually handsome for a Klingon. This is Wesley's very early into his career yeah. as a diplomat himself. I think, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To his credit, he immediately realizes that that, that did not the way sound the way he wanted it to sound. <laughs> Loaxana enters and makes another rude comment about the Antedians looking better in sauce. Terrible oh thing God, to say. God, yeah. Wow. Uh, even worse than anything Wesley would have said. Maybe Wesley should be a diplomat in this universe. Well, I mean, if she is. And then she sizes up both Wesley and Worf, and it's kind of gross. She, yes. She go more into the Wesley thing. She immediately dis dismisses him as being too young, but it's kind of weird. It is weird that it even would cross her mind, yeah. And then she tells Worf that he's out because she's grown too accustomed to human companionship even though she says that uh Worf's feelings and thoughts are primal oh gosh gross. yeah it's not great I do like when Worf says that he's not a man I'm not a man yeah he's a Klingon that's we also know that he's not a merry man that's just something he yeah, that's, says later that's on later yeah <laughs> they don't say this explicitly but I feel like she and Hom are going to see LaForge next because he covers his face yeah, we don't see LaForge at all in yeah. this episode, but I, that is the implication that I got. I that she's so, like, yeah. who's next? And he kind of puts his hand over his eyes and it's reminiscent of the visor. Yeah, so. that, that could have been an entire... Knowing Jordy's track record with relationships, at least how they're written, that oh, would have been an, an interesting twist of the episode. Well, it's interesting that like his relationships are all written terribly and then in an episode where everyone is getting hit on, he doesn't even show up. He doesn't even show up, I know. <laughs> Yeah. Is, a, is that a missed opportunity? They, <laughs> I don't even know. They did him dirty, oh, like yeah. a lot. Unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Picard is on the holodeck still and getting ready to leave. And Madeline asks if he's going to Rex's bar and that she left a message about Rex on his desk. So he thinks, he's like, yeah, okay, I'll go to the bar. It seems like a chance to chill out and asks if she'll come with him. I would have been yeah. at that point, I would have been, if I'm an unpaid worker for someone who's then asking me how to be like, you're buying drinks then, right? Yeah, like, yes. I mean, yeah. It turns but, out he's not even paying his tab, so. Uh, but she does give him a gun, which should be indicative right away that it may not be the type of environment he's still looking for. <laughs> yeah. It goes anyway. He, I, Rex's bar is the kind of place that I really love. It's like a bit of a hole in the wall, but it's got some nice stained glass kind of like run down and quiet but but i don't know it's got a charm that i that i like i feel like it's it, that's got nice ambience i would go yeah. there i'd go there yeah all right well next time we hang out in person rex's bar Re rex's bar there is a place in toronto called the rex is it not i think it's a jazz bar yeah it's like a jazz bar it, yeah. it's not as quiet rex this rex's bar is like very quiet yeah which i i do like i do like going to places for music too but i yeah. it wouldn't be the same 
Rex shows them a newspaper and it says that Germany is getting ready to invade England because I think this one takes this, this takes place in 1941. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, and Madeline doesn't think the U.S. should get involved in another world war. So what does Picard do? He starts talking all about the nerdiness that he knows about history, which I thought was interesting because he just finished jamming on data for being boring earlier and not wanting <laughs> to listen to any of his his things but then he starts nerding out all about history so i'm like oh yeah i like what is he trying to accomplish here he's talking to fictional characters who are like as far as they can tell he's predicting the future like what is you basically it's so out of place yeah he really hasn't gotten this dixon hill thing down yet (laughs) so in like the second third episode of the naked now picard uses the term a snootful Yes. When he he's talking about people being drunk and Rex uses that term yep. here. And I feel like Picard got that term from reading from the holodeck, yeah. books. So totally no, like from, from reading in his, you know, throughout his youth, reading these detective stories. Yeah. He learned the term snootful and now he like peppers it into his conversation when necessary. So Rex pours him a scotch. He's yeah. like, scotch, neat, right? He's like, yep. So he pours him a scotch, lights him a cigarette. Uh, and then asks for payment, and Picard's like, "Oh, uh, I yeah, I forgot I didn't bring any money." That's what I'm gonna do next time I have to pay a tab. Like, ah, oh, oh, I sorry. must remember to carry money around. Yeah, it was good. Carry it up, put it on my tab. Um, can you just ask for money to spawn? I guess I don't know. That's what I was thinking. I also like. I'm cheating. always baffled by how the holodeck works. That he can smoke a cigarette. Is it with safeties on cigarette? Like, does it not do anything? I don't know. Is it because aren't holodecks just like? Everything's like made out of carbon. Or no, no, not sorry, not carbon. Everything's Light made out of for, like force field. So is he smoking a force field? What cigarette? if you eat though? I know they drink. Yeah, they also drink. So at some points, I'm wondering like, is it also have a built-in replication system for food and stuff? I'm imagining that must be the case. Because uh, in the first season, Crusher was like chewing gum and then she swallowed it. So like there, there has to be something there. Got to be something there. Yeah. So Madeline says that Hill's testimony got Kuzo arranged. Yeah, J- Jimmy Kuzo. Jimmy Kuzo. Rex is, Rex is scared of Jimmy Kuzo. Yeah. And Rex says that it was his testimony too. So he needs Hill's help. So back to sickbay, Pulaski calls up to the bridge and says the Antidians are now there in the sickbay. And Loaxana also now enters the bridge. And Troy's like, you can't just stroll the bridge, whatever you want. Yeah. But Loaxana says, I didn't stroll. I took the turbo tube. The turbo tube. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't walk. I took the elevator. It is a tube. It is a tube. I do feel like this is another instance of enterprise security not being great. That if someone does walk onto the bridge, they should be immediately escorted off of it. Yeah, and not be able to just get there. Yeah. But I think it's like when they we, they go back to that neutral zone episode where the one guy like uses the comm panel. And they're like, well, what, why did it need a security key then? And they're like, because people in the enterprise restrain themselves. But if you have guests, like, you know, get up. Yeah, I know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Riker informs Loxana that Picard is busy, but she's like, that's okay. I have other interests too. And Troy can tell that something is going on because clearly it is. She's like, stop scheming. She tells her this telepathically. And Loxana again telepathically says, oh, I'm not scheming. I'm deciding. <laughs> and then looks over at Riker. Which she is- looks over at Riker and Troy's like, uh, not him. And Loxana like, she's like, why not? Like, I don't know because he's your daughter's ex maybe. Like, there's so many reasons why not. It, this is like when um, 
when Riker's dad showed up. Yeah, and started hitting on Troy. Yeah, it's like, it's so weird. It is weird. They both have messed up parents. They do. She does say that he is adorable, and I think that is true. I do think Riker is adorable. Oh, for sure. I mean, this Riker beard. Riker beard. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so back in sick bay, the Atenian blinks their eyes like, oh, first of all, that is a really cool makeup effect. I don't know how they got the eyes to work on those masks, but they look really like fishy and cool. Animatronics or something. Yeah, yeah. they got to be something animatronic because at first I didn't think, I thought they were just going to be like kind of um, like prosthetics that weren't like animated. They just they, they were going to yeah. move around when they woke up, but the eye like opens and I thought that was really neat. So she calls up to the bridge to say that they're in early stages of post-hibernation uh, and will be awake in a couple of hours. Okay, so let's just, discuss the pacing because Picard said they won't wake up until they're almost at Pacifica, which is a three day journey. So that means it's been three days. I don't like it. It hasn't been three days. They shouldn't yeah. have said it's been three days. Yeah. Cause Picard was just like in and out of the holodeck. So, I mean, like, was he in there for days? It's hard to yeah, tell. How long has he been in by. there for? Yeah. Or like, when was that dinner with, yeah. with Loxana? Like, yeah, it's not, it's a bit silly. Riker gets up to let Picard know, and Luoxan is like, oh, you're going to tell Picard something. Well, if that's the case, you can also tell him about us. And she tells the bridge that she and Riker are going to get married on Pacifica in a traditional Betazoid ceremony, and that they're all invited. And I'm pretty sure Riker has not been a part of this conversation. No, this is the first time Riker is hearing about it. Troy, like, does she think this is actually going to happen? Like, she looks like... Not just upset and horrified like she usually is with her mother, but actually like, like, no, you can't marry Will Riker. Of course, he's not going to marry her. Like, no, of course not. He's not going to marry your mom, Deanna. It would have made more sense if she just had like big palm face going on or something like that. But she makes it look like this is going to happen. And it's it's just a bit goofy. I think it's, yeah, really it's more for dramatic effect. Yeah, it's a bit silly. Riker also looks horrified, but then he kind of looks amused and he he tries to turn her down gently but she just interrupts him and doesn't let him say it and then says she has to go make preparations and walks into the turbo lift and Troy tries to follow but Riker grabs her arm and pulls her back he's like no 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 it's okay we'll we'll let Picard be the one to set her straight to which Troy calls him a coward yeah which I, I kind of agree with <laughs> <laughs> yeah but I think he's uh, I think he's enjoying that uh, the whole thing going on and having having his captain have to deal with it. Like you said, he likes the chaos that she brings. I know. Yeah. yeah. So Data asks if Riker is going to go down to the holodeck and he's like, yeah. And then Data gets super excited. He's like, could you just postpone for just five <laughs> minutes? And Riker's like, yeah, sure. And yeah. you know exactly why. You know exactly of course. Why, yeah. Of course. Yeah. So on the holodeck, Madeline is telling Hill about her responsibilities, which include her mother's cousin in San Antonio. And then we see like an ominous shadow of a person at the door. And you can see like the the silhouette of their fedora. And they're all worried that it's Jimmy Cuzo. But the door opens and it's Data in his costume. He looks pretty good in a suit too. He looks great. And Rex has the best line in the episode. I'm as jumpy as haircut Lipinski trying to land on a fraction. What does, what does that, that even mean? mean? I have no idea. <laughs> How do you land on a fraction? I don't... I don't know. What's a haircut Lipinski? Is it a character yeah. from Dixon I, I Hill? I feel like that's a person. That's like a nickname, right haircut Lipinski. Look up lands on a fraction. Oh, like the whole thing showed up as soon as I typed it in there. 
And the only place it shows up in is memory alpha. Memory alpha. And then also shows up in Reddit as extremely specific metaphors. Yeah, nothing is. I said land on a fraction in Google, and it's like fractional land. It's like a bunch of math stuff. Well, if anyone out there knows what this means, yeah. Let us know. How do you land on a fraction? How do you land on a fraction? And Who's and why does that make Lipinski? you jumpy? Yeah, I have no idea. Riker explains that the two passengers have awakened, so Picard starts to go. Rex asks if they have time for a drink, so Picard says one more round. And he introduces his associates, Riker, as Nails from Chicago and Data as Carlos from South America. Yeah, so that was from the big goodbye where someone was like, oh, you look weird. Are you from South America? So it's like... He just runs with it? Joke. I guess he's Carlos from South America. Carlos I don't... from South America. He'll also go on to be a Frenchman and from the mountains, a mountain man. Brent Spiner has played a lot of characters on Star Trek because he plays like different... Uh, androids and he plays like different members of the Sung family but as Data he also gets to play a nice variety of characters (laughs) like Data Data the character plays Sherlock Holmes he plays Carlos he plays you know like he gets to do a lot of a lot of playing a lot of playing I think he likes that I think so too yeah there's this whole misunderstanding that now happens because Riker explains to Picard that a certain woman, both wealthy and beautiful, now thinks that she is going to marry me. Yeah. And Rex thinks that Nails here has a good deal because, well, I mean, if they're wealthy and beautiful. Yeah, what's what's to say no? Yeah. What's to say no? So Lalaxana now wants to find out where everybody is. So she wears this puffy kind of dress with these. It's a great dress. The sleeves are like the size of her head. Yeah, like, they're amazing. Huge puffy sleeves. Yeah. And we see a thing that I don't think has been used since the very first episode oh yeah <laughs> like back in first season like like we're talking like encounter at farport loetta asks the computer where Riker is and the computer tells her to follow the little compound dots to holodeck three there's a funny yeah. moment here that you pointed out right that yeah she's talking to herself majel barrett who plays loxana troy also plays the, the voice of the computer so it is just a cute moment of like She's asking the computer and then the computer answers and it's Majel Barrett's voice. It is, I think, actually a nice demonstration of the difference in the voices that she used as as Loxana Troy and as the computer. Because it doesn't, if you know it's the same person, you can tell. But I think if you didn't know that, you might not be able to tell that that was the same the same voice. Yeah, that's. It's, I hadn't thought of that until you wrote it down here. But yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And back in the holodeck, Loxana now enters. With Mr. Hom in the Rex's bar. And Rex deduces that she's the quote-unquote broad with the big bucks and calls her over. Yeah, and it's really like, it's so awkward. Picard is like trying to hide his face under his hat. But obviously she can see him and she's like, oh, this is where you've been hiding. And I can't believe you let this part of the ship get so dirty. And see, here's the thing. Like, she's upset with him. She's also upset with Riker. But she's fine. Like this whole thing of like, well, how can we let her down and how can we reject her without her getting shocked and resentful? Like, yeah, she's upset, but she's okay. You know, like I feel like that they built it up to be this horrible thing. They might have built it up too much, yeah. Troy said that that she would be resentful and shocked, but that's maybe not what's going on. It's fine, yeah. She says that Riker's made his true feelings clear that he obviously feels unable to handle her. I, you know, I think, I think yeah, they might be right. That might be right. Yeah. I don't think Riker could handle Loxana Troy. But she does find Rex very interesting because she can't read him at all. Yeah, she gets, she gets really serious. She's like, you are very interesting. She's like, normally I know men's feelings before they do. She cuts him off and says that 
she wants to talk about how erotic she finds it that she can't read him <laughs> and she's like bring this almost french drink because he says he has a french a drink that's almost <laughs> french and bring it over to this other table and comes in yeah and madeline is like what is going on here and Riker asks Picard if they should tell her that, you know, he's a hologram. But Picard says, yeah, we'll, we'll tell her. But first, let's allow her the moment. Allow her the moment. Yeah. yeah. So now the Antedians are wide awake and they're like yelling on the sick bay, making noise. They've got like this voice that's like, it sounds like they're underwater, but they're they're like, food, food. Yeah, yeah. food. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, they clearly want their like, their other fish so they push the barrel wharf pushes the barrel in front of them and they just like bury their faces in this barrel of food i guess they've been hibernating for a long time and are very hungry yeah yeah i guess so so pulaski tells picard and so Riker leaves for the bridge and picard is tells loxana like okay we we gotta go are you are you coming and she's like not yet and she also says like tell william that i'm very sorry but Rex and I are getting married. Getting married. Yeah. Picard says that the Betazoid government expects him to deliver her to the conference in time. So she leaves and says she'll be back later. Yeah. And on their way out, Picard tells Alexana that there's something, something that she should know about Rex. <laughs> Cut to the turbo lift. Alexana's like, how could they not tell me that he wasn't even real? Oh, they he let me go on exist. like that. Yeah. <laughs> and Alexana home and Troy enter the transporter room and the Tidians are on the transporter pad. And Loaxlata wants to know why they're still here. And Picard says, well, they thought she might want to beam down with the other delegates. And she's like, well, they're not delegates. They're assassins. Just casually throws this out there. I guess probably she couldn't read them when they were in their catatonic state. Makes sense. But now she can. Yep. And she says, if you scan them, you will find that uh, their robes are lined with ultrichium. The worst. Yeah. Apparently it's highly explosive, but undetectable by a transporter. And Data scans them right there, and Data's like, oh, wow, they're right. <laughs> and that they're planning, a, basically, the Wadda says that they're planning on blowing up the entire conference. So she uh, she saved them. So Picard tells Worf to take them to level five, disarm them, and hold them for questioning. And Troy locks on a hug, and then she gets onto the transporter pad. And she's like, well, I didn't find a mate, but I did save the conference. And legit, she just, like, saved how many people's lives right, she right did, there. She did, yeah. They, say, they all say goodbye. He thanks her, I guess, for saving the conference and, and their reputations, as she points out as well. And then as she beams away, she says, Jean-Luc, shame on you for thinking such a thing. And that's how it ends. That's how it ends. But she did it. She saved everyone's <sighs> lives. And I thought that she was did. a nice, it's a nice ending where they get to give her like an, an important role there right at the end. Yeah. Any final thoughts, Matthew? No. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's the episode. That's it. Season two is really up and down. We've got a couple good ones coming up. Uh, the next one is Emissary. It's still they're still finding their footing, but it's it sets up some nice things for the future. And uh, then we'll have peak performance, and then we'll have our season finale. I like it. Yeah, we're almost we're almost there. This I would say is uh, one of the valleys in a in a season of peaks and valleys. I'd say this and the previous one are a pretty serious valley. There are great ones to come. There are. We're yeah. getting into, and then soon we're almost in, we're almost at season three. I can't believe it. can't believe we're I this know. far into the show. I know. Excited. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of With the First Link. If you liked what you heard, please feel free to leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast provider of choice. Our cover art was created by Nathan Nunn, and you can find more of his work at NathanNunn.ca. Our theme song is An Amazing Adventure by Flame Lion Studio. 
You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at FirstLinkPod or send us an email at firstlinkpod at gmail.com to let us know how you land on a fraction. I'm Ruthie. And I'm Matthew. And some of your friends might be fish, but make sure they're not blowfish. <laughs> you know, because they were going to explode. Blowfish? No? All right. I thought it was I, funny. I like it. I like it. There you go, Matthew. <laughs>